0: I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And... Uh, this is another week of our Future Quake show mm-hmm. uh, where we're going to get a chance to even take a slight departure from our typical Tomorrow's Tremors uh, episodes that we have during the month mm-hmm. and get some little bit longer articles that aren't just late-breaking news things that we're mm-hmm. uncovering, mm-hmm. things that you and I have held on to for some time that we wanted the right time to be able to read them. We're going to try to focus on them today mm-hmm. uh, for this week's Future Quake show. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll just jump right in if you don't mind. I mean, usually we get distracted with all sorts of announcements and other kind of this and that and things like that. But uh, what do you say we just go bare bones? Let's go barefootin'. And <laughs> I remember that song. Yep. We're barefootin'. We're barefootin'. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember a dance. It was almost you had to dance like you were dancing on hot coals, or like your feet were jumping up in the air back and Those forth. Those were the
1: days, man. They released a new song and there wasn't a dance associated mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. Uh huh.
0: Uh, you know, that's something I had never thought about. To promote Future Quake would be to come with a new dance for Future Quake.
1: That's an interesting thought.
0: Call it the Futurian or the Tomorrow Tremor. Uh,
1: I think it would. I think it would involve putting a finger in each ear and whipping your head around like you <laughs> couldn't stand couldn't more the pain any longer. Like
0: the Hokey Pokey. <laughs>
1: Oh, well, ladies and gentlemen, if
0: you all have an idea for the new Future Quake Dance, uh, send us an email. Maybe you can put it on YouTube or something like that. Mm-hmm. We could see it. and We could have a dance competition mm-hmm. for Future Quake Dance. Okay, sorry about that. I said we wouldn't distract from mm-hmm. it. And can't help it. But, uh, have you got a story to begin with us? Uh, something you we go? can... Why don't you go first? Are you sure? Yeah, please. Well, I have a series of stories that we'll, we'll go interspersed. But this was something that was in the Tennessean, the main Nashville newspaper, mm-hmm. for some time, and I've kept it in my in-basket wanting to review it. I thought it was useful, and, uh, it, it was, uh, the religion, one of the religion writers for the Tennessean did this series, because, um Nashville has become somewhat of a, uh, I don't know, a hot bit, sparking point, uh, of clashes between Muslims in America and, uh, Christian a little bit, background. Yep um not that long ago we had pastors here that were burning Qurans making a statement uh by doing that mm-hmm. we have a muslim center here being built that was um, vandalized yeah, people saying to go home and stuff like that mm-hmm. and so this has been an area where it's been a hotbed and i guess accordingly um the Tennessean has done a series on a little bit of information about uh the nature of the battle Okay. Mm. And so I have a couple articles here, and, uh, I want you to feel free to interrupt me as I go through. Okay. okay. I don't mean to talk about these topics commonly other than these are like the really key issue American Christians are wrestling with right now, it seems like to me. Mm. A little sip of coffee there. We've got a, a little bit of story here. Uh, the gentleman's name is Bob Smet, Smetana, I believe is how you pronounce Shmeton,
1: it. Smetana?
0: Uh, from the Tennessean. Uh, it says anti-muslim crusaders make millions spreading fear. And again this is from the local newspaper. Mm-hmm. It says Steve Emerson has 3,390,000 reasons to fear Muslims. Now Steve Emerson that some of you astute listeners that uh, watch Fox News or something you will have seen him. I can remember him from he's a terrorism advisor on Fox News. Mm-hmm. Okay, it says that's how many dollars Emerson's for-profit company Washington-based SAE Productions, collected in 2008 for researching alleged ties between American Muslims and overseas terrorism. Okay, $3.39 The payment came from the Investigative Project on Terrorism Foundation, a non-profit charity Emerson also founded, which solicits money by telling donors they're in imminent danger for Muslims. Emerson is a leading member of a multi-million dollar industry of self-proclaimed experts who spread hate toward Muslims in books and movies, on websites, and through speaking appearances. Leaders of the so-called anti-jihad movement portray themselves as patriots defending America against radical Islam. And they found an eager audience in ultra-conservative Christians and mosque opponents in Middle Tennessee, one national consultant testified in an ongoing lawsuit aimed at stopping a new Murfreesboro mosque. But beyond the rhetoric, Emerson's organization tax-exempt status is facing questions at the same time he's accusing Muslim groups of tax improprieties. Mm. Basically, you Fine. have a yeah. Basically, you have a nonprofit acting as a front uh, organization, and all the money is going to a for-profit. Said Ken Berger, president of Charity Navigator, a non-profit marchstall group. It's wrong. This is off the charts. But a spokesman for Emerson's company said the actions were legal and designed to protect workers there from death threats. It's all done for security reasons, says Ray Locker, a spokesman for SAE Productions. Sounds like
1: a, that's a line from the the government. Uh, It's all security. Yeah. Security reasons.
0: Uh, Emerson made his name in the mid-1990s with his documentary film, Jihad in America, which aired on PBS. Produced after the first World Trade Center bombing in 1993, the film uncovered terrorists raising money in the United States. He followed up with the books Jihad Incorporated, A Guide to Militant Islam in the U.S., and American Jihad, The Terrorists Living Amongst Us. He states that extremists control 80% of mosques in the United States. 80%. Mm-hmm. In August, he claimed to have uncovered 13 hours of audio tapes proving that Faisal Roof, R-A-U-F, the imam behind the proposed mosque near Ground Zero, is a radical extremist.
1: But his money comes from uh, Leslie R. Deek, who works for the Defense Department and gives charitable grants to the U.S. Army War College, who provided, in fact, Leslie R. Deek provided 100% of their budget between 2006 and 2008.
0: Well, I guess that fits since the Pentagon is extremist in their own light, so one yeah. extremist would know another, I guess. Yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, he says, uh, I don't think he'll survive the disclosure of these tapes, he told talk show Bill Bennett. You know, Bill Bennett, part of evangelical mm-hmm. circles. Uh, Rolf is still in place as project leader, even though the tape excerpts have been online for weeks. Emerson formed a Middle Tennessee connection last summer when his organization uncovered pictures on a Murfreesboro Mosque board member's MySpace page. His company said the pictures proved connections to Hamas, a Palestinian terrorist organization. But mosque leaders said they checked with the Department of Homeland Security and found the concerns were groundless. Mm-hmm. Special Agent Keith Moses, who heads the FBI's Nashville office, told the Tennesseean last month that the bureau doesn't discuss specific allegations. In a post 9 era, the FBI is taking every step to prevent further terrorist attacks, he said. We also want to protect civil rights and the freedom of religion. Uh, others, uh, I see. Uh, while, while large organizations like Emerson's aren't the norm, other local and national entrepreneurs cash in on the spreading hate and fear about Islam. Former Tennessee State University physics professor Bill French runs the Nashville-based for-profit Center for the Study of Political Islam. He spoke recently to a group of opponents of the Murfreesboro Mosque gathered at a house in Murfreesboro. With an American flag as a backdrop, French paced back and forth like the Church of Christ ministers he heard growing up. His message, how creeping Sharia law is undermining the very fabric of American life. This offends Allah, said French pointing to the flag on the wall. You offend Allah. A French who has no formal education in religion believes Islam is not a religion. Instead, he sees Islam and its doctrine and rules known as Sharia law as a totalitarian ideology. In his 45-minute speech, he outlined a kind of Ten Commandments of Evil, no music, no art, no rights for women, taken from his book, Sharia Law for Non-Muslims. The speech was free, but his books penned under the name Bill Warner, were for sale in the back and ranged from $9 to $20. When he was done, the 80 or so mock mosque opponents gave him a standing ovation and then began buying French's books to hand out to their friends.
1: How come I never hear about these meetings?
0: You weren't invited to it? I, I don't know. Uh Frank Gaffney, I mean, you've probably heard of Frank Gaffney, uh, head of the Washington, D.C.-based non nonprofit Center for Security Policy. I think he was Department of Defense when I worked in the... Defense area. You might have. He was Gaffney was there for a while. Yeah. He's he's on Fox News all the time. He's mm-hmm. a regular. You uh, like hanging out with him? Yeah, we were we were like this, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, Frank Gaffney, head of the Washington D.C. nonprofit Center for National Security Policy, earned a two hundred eighty-eight thousand three hundred dollars salary from his charity in two thousand eight. Um, so I guess when people contribute to those charities, the first two hundred eighty-eight thousand. Goes off the top for his salary, yeah. on top of his government retirement. I mean, and, you
1: know, come on, you gotta.
0: I think he was also had a p- professorship as well too. Um, of course, the question comes: Who supports those charities? I'm assuming it's not ten and twenty dollar checks from people. I assume it's somebody who supports most of the think tanks in Washington. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's not us. Uh, Gaffney was a key witness in recent hearings in the Rutherford County lawsuit by mosque opponents. He said he paid his own way. Uh, on the stand, the Reagan-era Deputy Assistant Defense Secretary accused local mosque leaders of having ties to terrorism, uh, using ties to Middle Eastern universities and politics as evidence. His main source of information was his own report on Sharia law as a threat to America, one he wrote with other self-proclaimed experts. But under oath, he admitted he is not an expert on Sharia law. The list of people on the anti-Islam circuit goes on. IRS filings from 2008 show that Robert Spencer, who runs the Jihad Watch blog, earned $132,537 from the David Horowitz Freedom Center, a conservative non Brigitte Tudor, who runs the anti-Islam group ACT for America and the American Congress for Truth, earned $152,800, while her colleague Guy Rogers collected $154,900. That's that's upwards around your salary there, Tom. Yeah. Uh, for doing this stuff.
1: hmm
0: We're 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 missing out on this somehow. With everybody rail against, there's no checks coming. Well, in. you
1: know, the, again Habakkuk talks about uh, how there comes a point when the guilty are hemmed in because of the actions of the unjust. And uh, I can't help but in listening to this, I can't help but think that there's quite a bit of that going on. Yeah. You know.
0: Do, do you find this interesting? I'm I'm
1: fascinated. Um, well, it, I mean, it's, I, I won't say surprised. Yeah, right. It, right. It, it's just like, I think there's going to be scorpions under this rock. Oh, there's scorpions.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, no, you know, this is a, a legitimate major newspaper True. doing this. Yeah. Uh, Emerson's older, uh, most established organization collects several times that in an average year. Emerson incorporated his for-profit company, SAE Productions, in Delaware in 1995, uh, he launched the non-profit Investigative Project on Terrorism Foundation in Washington, D.C. in 2006. But he doesn't make that distinction on his website, uh, www.investigativeproject.org, which describes the Investigative Project on Terrorism as a non-profit research group founded by Steve Emerson in 1995. And today, the two groups share the same Washington Street address, which is published on Emerson's personal website. In 2002 and 2003, despite lacking non-profit status, Emerson received a total of $600,000 in grants from the Smith-Richardson Foundation. 600000 that's a lot. Uh, it's
1: almost as much as your salary.
0: Yeah, I know. A conservative public policy shaper based in Connecticut. This is the Smith-Richardson Foundation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. You know who those people are? No. Okay. There's many, many other foundations like that, writing big checks, that control what we hear on TV. And oh. those those are the opinions we're hearing on TV mm-hmm. when we watch it. Or one foundation, talking so well, I can get some I'll other foundation. Well, i tell you
1: what. You know, you can get out of that rat race. You can do that by getting a uh, a nice big Louisville slugger or a softball bat and then just putting it in your TV, and then you won't get mind-controlled. Okay.
0: You know, you had Project Echelon listening real closely there for a while. How <laughs> about the baseball bat?
1: Um, is that a terrorist weapon yeah. or a weapon
0: of mass destruction? Yeah, to you, you know, address as the inanimate object. The foundation declined to comment on the grants but said it only gives money to tax-exempt charitable groups. Giving money to a for-profit is extremely rare for a said Peter Byrd, president of the National based Frist Foundation. But
1: sometimes it's just got to be done.
0: It can happen only when the foundation keeps meticulous records on how the money was spent by the group that received it. It almost never happens, he said. Locker, a former USA Today national security editor now working for SAE Productions, said his organization does not discuss funding. The Investigative Project on Terrorism Foundation's uh, 1023 application for tax exempt status stated that all of the money raised by the Washington, D.C.-based charity would go to a nonprofit subcontractor with no ties to Emerson or any board members. The application also said that the charity would buy no services from board members Emerson ended up being the only board member. In a letter dated December 8, 2006, the IRS asked if there would be any ties between the subcontractor and the Investigative Project on Terrorism Foundation. On December 9, 2006, Emerson wrote back, There are and still will be no financial business transactions between officers, board members, or relatives of the aforementioned and applicant organization.
1: Sweet. I'm glad they cleared that right up. Uh huh.
0: And That was in the story. <laughs> In 2008, however, the charity paid 3.39 million dollars to SAE Productions for management services.
1: Well, sounds like uh, their facts are a little bit contradictory.
0: Yeah, contradictory facts. That's exactly. Yeah, I thought about that whole deal with Ergen Kainer in this earlier earlier writing on this. Um, Emerson is SAE's sole officer because of its unusual arrangement with Emerson's company. The investigative project's tax returns show no details, such as salaries of staff. Locker said the approach was vetted by the group's lawyers and is legal. He said that Emerson takes no profits from SA Productions and therefore the investigative project is non-profit. That doesn't fly, said Charity Navigators Berger. Berger said tax-exempt non-profits must be transparent and disclose how they spend money and how much they pay their staff. Emerson's group appears to be trying to skirt these rules, he said. It really undermines the trust of nonprofits. This is really off the grid. The Frist Foundation's burden said the discrepancy between the investigative project's application to the IRS and its practices is troubling. It looks like they told the government one thing and did another," he said. But Rebecca Bynum, editor of the New English Review, a national-based online magazine that's critical of Islam, said she has no problem with Emerson's big take. Her nonprofit took in 30,000 in 2008 and has no paid employees. I know that Emerson does great work. Bynum said. So, regardless of the, you know, um you know, any kind of improprieties, he does good work. He's fighting on our side. Well, look,
1: know? let's just get down to brass tacks. We may have done something totally immoral, but we have got to get those people. He's on our side. Yeah. Because we want. My wanna... work is so important that morals don't apply.
0: Well, yeah, because we got to stop these other immoral people. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> sometimes you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. Yeah. You know. They Okay, she goes, uh, they investigate very thoroughly. You can always count on what they say. Uh, the message anti-Islam authors and groups disseminate isn't always accurate. Brandon Wheeler, history professor and director of the Center for Middle Eastern Islamic Studies at the United States Naval Academy, said critics of Islam mistakenly assume that Sharia law is a set of fixed principles that apply to every Muslim everywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is from the Naval Academy, okay? He says, that's not the case, he said, making clear that he speaks as an expert, and not for the Navy or the Naval Academy. While French, for example, has put together his Sharia law for non-Muslims, no similar book exists for Muslims. There's no text that is entitled the Sharia, Wheeler said. It's not a code of law. It's it's not uh, like you could go to the library and get the 12 volumes of Sharia law. Mm-hmm. Instead, Sharia is flexible and applies differently in different contexts. It comes from clerics and scholars' interpretation of the Quran and other holy books. Wheeler also had harsh words for Gaffney's report, which claimed Sharia is an imminent threat to America. He makes the Sharia look absurd and insidious by trolling through and finding outrageous rulings and then making them universal for all time, Wheeler said. Well, thank goodness we can't find any outrageous court rulings in our country. At least we're immune from that criticism. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, Wheeler also responded to another criticism of Islam, that it allows Muslims to lie to non-Muslims. Critics of the local mosque often say that's why Muslims can't be trusted when they say they're peaceful. Wheeler said the term applies only to Shia Muslims, the smaller the two major sects of Islam during times of persecution. It's an escape clause, he said. Now, this is what the Sharia believe, okay? Mm-hmm. You are not required to tell the truth about your religion if someone is going to kill you. It's not to be understood as lying. Uh, Middle Tennessee's Muslims are Sunnis, the larger sect. They find the constant barrage of mysteries about their faith baffling.
1: Well, and just for the record, I think most Christians would uh, would would recognize the distinction about lying about things, too. Not like that, but uh, listen to the distinction. Uh, we're, si- we're at a big party, and some guy yeah. comes with a big bag full of fruit, and uh, it happens to be a bunch of Messianic Jews, and the guy says, where are the Jews? Right. And it's like, oh, down the hallway, just over there. Yeah. Uh, we're in a house in the middle of World War II. We've got a bunch of people trying to escape persecution down under the floor, and ten Nazis show up and say, where are the Jews? Well, huh. what Jews?
0: Right. Yeah. Right. I was thinking the exact
1: same example. I know. It, right, it, exactly. It, it's, all, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's and, and called, and here's a real expert saying, oh, this is ridiculous, but nobody ever asks that guy.
0: Yeah, the guy from the Naval Academy. Yeah. It's called, and, and in fact, he doesn't have any money to make with his answer. He's not being paid on what the answer mm-hmm. he gives. Um, okay. Um, okay. Uh, it says, uh, the, the Sunnis found a constant barrage of mistruths about their faith baffling. What does Sharia law have to do with America? Why are they talking about it? Said Abdi Aziz Barre, who immigrated to Nashville from Somalia 17 years ago. He said he's heard claims that Muslims endorse slavery and terrorism. That's nonsense, said Barre, who rejects both. But he's not going to loot Now, were there Muslims in the past who did? Well, certainly, because there were Christians mm-hmm. who endorsed um, slavery, mm-hmm. including the denomination I was from originally, uh, Heavy. supported it. Um, he, he says, uh, but he's not going to lose sleep over the misinformation of critics. If people don't want to be a good neighbor or friend, so what, he said. I have plenty of neighbors and friends. That's no a good. Somali Muslim right. saying it. Right on, man. It says, despite what critics call inaccuracies, the anti-Islam message has found traction in Middle Tennessee, with some casually citing it. Sally Snow hosted French's speech along with her husband, former Rutherford County Republican Party Chairman Howard Wall, who hosted this meeting. Mm-hmm. She has been a regular in hearings uh, in a lawsuit aimed at stopping the new Murfreesboro Mosque. One day this month, Snow arrived wearing sunglasses and joked that she was trying to cover up marks on her face. Howard's turned into a Muslim, she said He started beating me French's crowd oh, come on yeah uh, French's crowd contained politicians and preachers, businessmen, and others brought together by their fear of Sharia and their belief that Islam is incompatible with American life. Some oppose Islam on theological grounds, seeing it as a threat to their Bible belt culture. Or for Christian Zionists to the state of Israel.
1: I like how I like how they tie that Christianity to culture there. Yeah. I think that's a very right. very sad, insidious thing. Because that says two things about God in essence in their mind. If our culture ceased to exist, then so does God, so we must be able to keep this whole thing together. Or it says God yeah. is not capable of fighting whatever this imaginary enemy is that we have, so we have to do it. We have to. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, it relates to somebody sent me a video, supposedly one of the most popular videos on YouTube right now. One of our listeners sent it to me. Uh It says it's had over six million hits in the last few days. Yeah, and it was one of these things where the American flag was playing in the background. It had an eagle flying, and we will stop Barack Obama. He's basically the source of all the evil. He's mm-hmm. the source of everything socialist. They ought to. See we the, will uh, do this. We will do that. We will do all this. Go Google
1: just, Barack Obama the scapegoat. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a great okay.
0: video. Well, at the end of it says we will. We will support American exceptionalism in the video. You know why you hear the patriotic music in the background? Mm -hmm. American exceptionalism is the real key to a lot of this. Mm -hmm. The belief somehow that there's something religiously sacred about America as a concept, uh, that it's almost in a religion in and of itself. Oh, my God. And when you finally recognize it and you're on the outside looking at it, you think, how -hmm. did I get tied up in this? Mm -hmm. And where is any of this defendable in the Bible? Yeah. Okay, that's where I think a lot of this comes together. Yeah. Um, uh, it says, uh, if i continuing here, I'm almost at the, at the end here, uh, regarding Zionism. It says, according to that belief, American Christians have a religious duty to protect the state of Israel. When Israel expands, they believe Muslims in Iran and Iraq will be forced out of their homes to make way. Then the second coming of Jesus can begin. The reason America exists is to partner with Israel to protect Israel. Said the Reverend Darrell Whaley, pastor of Kingdom Ministries Worship Center and head of a Protestant ministers group opposed to the mosque in Murfreesboro. So that was the reason America existed, Sweet. which it must have some kind of biblical existence. Yeah, like look that can, up, would you? See like, the Bible where that's it, mentioned.
1: Yeah, it's in Isaiah 67.
0: Okay, got it. Thanks. Yeah. Um. Of course. What was the uh. Was it the conservative Bible? Was that it, the one? It, I mean? It's
1: in the conservative Bible. Yeah, that it's was that's a really, real Bible. Re, I, I know, yeah. I know. We we mention yeah. it every six months, yeah. and nobody believes that it really exists, but it's true.
0: Okay, just wrapping up here. Lori Cardozo Moore, who led the opposition to a failed mos- mosque in Brentwood, is also a Christian Zionist. Her nonprofit, the Franklin-based Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, exists to drum up support for Israel amongst Christians. With those stances out there, it's unlikely broad-based interfaith cooperation is possible, said Rabbi Rami Shapiro, uh, an adjunct uh, religion professor at Middle Middle Tennessee State University. He's a Jewish person. Mm -hmm. At an interfaith event at the university this month, he downplayed fears that Muslims would try to impose their religious laws in the United States. So here you have a Jewish person saying it's overblown. Muslims are not going to Sharia, as America Shapiro said what 's going to happen is that America is going to Americanize Muslims, still he said, building trust between Muslims and some right wing Christians will be difficult, according to their beliefs. Muslims are in the way of god 's plan he mm-hmm. said you can 't argue with that so well uh, what
1: I find of all this stuff what I find the most interesting, and i 'll tell you what it 's a, it's a conversation you will you will find just how committed somebody is uh, to their particular faith in my opinion, and I, and I, I realize that 's a bit harsh, yeah. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just throw that out there and ask people to consider. Um, you know, you won't get your head chopped off over here trying to actively convert a Muslim. You can right. speak openly about Christ to people. Right. You can talk to them. You can be their friend. You can say, "Hey, I have an Injeel, which is a Arabic Bible, Bible in Arabic. Mm-hmm. I have an Injeel I'd like to give you." You can sit and you can talk to them at length, uh, and and you know what happens is you talk to them and they go, "Are you trying to convert me?" And all you have to do is say, "No, I'm just telling you what God has done in my life," mm-hmm. and they go, "Okay." Mm-hmm. And they're told, If that's honest, they're totally okay with it. But that the answer. people
0: who don't know a single Muslim, Christians who don't know, him, will say that never happened. They'll just pull out a cemetery and cut your head off. Whereas all the people I know, in fact, at this conference I was just at Mm -hmm. with a gentleman who establishes relationship with Muslims and Mm -hmm. and involving their conversion. Mm -hmm. uh, He makes no bones about it being, you know, a faith, a non-saved faith of Islam. Mm -hmm. But he says they want to know, they want to talk about the Bible. (laughs) They want to talk about Jesus. They want to sit down, they're surprised that they meet an American that actually cares about stuff. Yeah. Now, now, l- Somebody's l- not busy worshiping Bacchus and Mammon. Let me ask you this. If we, if the Great Commission was our first priority, mm-hmm. if we believe that that was our first priority, wouldn't it be in our interest to have God, and this is where I thought you were going, mm-hmm. uh, God to send as many Muslims as possible to America? Wouldn't that be the best thing? Because, again, they won't be in a country. Where we can't talk about it. Yeah. God, in other words, God could be trying to bless us in our mission by sending them to us, so we don't have to go over there and risk Mm -hmm. our life to send them here. But that's way down the list of Christians' priorities in America. It seems like, with the fact of converting these people to Christ. I want to. This is. Yeah. I mean, and uh, we'd be viewed as being very naive, like they're
1: coming over to kill us, and we are like Chamberlain saying peace in our time. I know. I know. I know. one of the things I was I was very blessed. Uh, we're very blessed to know some ministers who 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 really get mm-hmm. get it on that aspect. Yeah. And I, I went down with some of them to a uh, to a meeting of of a very prominent organization who's actively reaching out to Muslims. Mm-hmm. And the first question was two people. They they seemed very unhappy to be there, and they raised their hand and they said, "Muslims have taken over every country they've ever wanted to." Since their existence began in fourteen hundred years ago, what makes you think that we can stop them here and and, and it dawned on me it, right at that point, you know so many yeah. of the comments that I've made it dawned on me that this has nothing to do with religion this has to do with preserving uh preserving uh some austinized uh mm-hmm. version of America that where you believe God smiles on it mm-hmm. um because we're and here if they talking were all, about converting people. Well, They're and if they were all
0: incinerated, if those people were all incinerated in their lands and went to a Christless eternity right mm-hmm. now, they would be yelling, cheering. Maybe like Yahoo! Yes, we I knew we could do it. We got rid of the enemy. <laughs> we got rid of them.
1: Yeah. And it's it's ridiculous. It's um, let them come. Let's convert them. But a church has to be active. A a church, if
0: the church is is inactive Mm -hmm. and not caring and love for these people, it will never work. And... What God does is impacted by what we're ready. You know, in experiencing God, Mm -hmm. Henry Blackaby talks about this in the church. Mm -hmm. He's not going to put a church in a position to minister on a a bold plan unless they are ready and equipped to do God's work, Mm -hmm. because that will reflect on God if they drop the ball. Mm -hmm. So, unless they're ready to embrace the bold work and do, Mm -hmm. God will not put them in a position. God, God will not send people to a church that's super dysfunctional Mm -hmm. if they're not prepared to bless the people you know, who they're seeking to have sent to them.
1: Mhm. Yeah. You, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Because God I wouldn't do that to people. I totally, I totally know. God puts you where you need to be. If yeah. you if you really are serious about it, he'll put you where you need to be. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's into the frying pan, unfortunately. But well, that's th- another story. You think
0: about Paul, okay? Yeah. Well, Apostle Paul, when he had his vision on a Damascus Road, okay? He, he said to go see Ananias, a Christian, if he'll help you the rest of the way. Okay, he was an enemy of the gospel, Paul was, or Saul at the time. Mm -hmm. Ananias, God went on and saw Ananias and Mm -hmm. told him, said, look, you're going to see this guy scared Ananias to death. Mm -hmm. But he prepped Ananias because this needed to be successful. Mm -hmm. Whatever this process is that God sent him to Ananias. I believe God is sending Muslims here. And we're in the role of Ananias. Well, I'll and the tell question you, is, are we going to fulfill
1: the role that God's called us to be? Well, I'll tell you what. Here's a here's a personal story related to me from somebody who worked at at a free clinic just down the street uh, from the mm-hmm. Quake compound. Uh, and I, I, I've I've mentioned it here before, but I yeah. think it bears repeating that uh, this Muslim lady showed up and said, "I need to speak to this person." Mm-hmm. And they said, "Well, the only person here that is that is the uh, the chaplain." Yeah. And so they went into a room and they spoke for forty five minutes, and the lady just wanted to hear about Jesus mm-hmm. And um, so she ended up converting and then leaving. All right. And then a week later, he got a phone call saying from this lady saying, "She's just overjoyed, you need to come speak to my husband. She was a Muslim, and you know, he's a little bit freaked out about this whole encounter. Mm-hmm. So he goes over there and he sits down and the guy says, uh, the, uh, the, the chaplain goes over there and sits in front of this family and the husband says, uh, I'm completely at ease with being a Muslim and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with Islam and everything. Um, but I want my wife to come over here and talk to me because she doesn't speak a word of English. Hmm. And she was able to communicate with you mm-hmm. and, um, uh, understand you and know what the gospel was and she she knows no english you guys spoke mm-hmm. in english she understood you so i need to hear about your god mm-hmm. that just happened right down the street you know here in middle tennessee wow um and it's like you don't need to go the mission field is here folks more more of that would happen if we opened ourselves up to be used i wish there were 3 of me cuz mm-hmm. i can't i can't take it you know there's so th- much work out there to do and there's so many people right. going well, what about the Muslims? We need People to, to love. run them over with the
0: bulldozers. Yeah. And, People to love. You know, yeah. you know uh, the irony of this is that the average Muslim out there needs the same exact thing the average Jew needs. Sure. And that is the good news and the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And we disservice both communities. We disservice the Muslim communities because we spout so much hate and that they all want to kill us and they're all evil people and we won't share the gospel. And then we go to the Jewish person and say, you're completely right with God. I'm talking about the evangelical, you know, uh, Zionist. Mm -hmm. You're completely right with God. You're doing everything you need to do and they're still going to go to a Christless eternity. Because even though they're Jewish, Mm -hmm. unless they've embraced Jesus Christ as their Messiah, they are still going to a Christless eternity.
1: Well, what does it say... Here's, it does, it does everybody a disservice because here you are spreading, spreading hate, not spreading the gospel. There's very little love going on. And what is the one thing that Jesus says you'll know his followers by? How they love one another. Mm
0: -hmm. But, but, but the point I'm making with both these groups is one of them, we disservice them because we hate them. The other one, we lift up and don't tell them the word that they need from the gospel. Mm -hmm. So, so both cases we find a different excuse. Not to stand on the gospel with these groups, and we dropped the ball on the main thing Christ has told us to do.
1: There's a lot of bowling balls <laughs> falling all over the place in this country. But but that meeting, yeah.
0: just in closing, this, that meeting that they were describing, where these people were getting together in homes and in railing and stuff like mm-hmm. that, that just sounds so chillingly like the kind of meetings I'm sure happened right before Kristallnacht in yeah. Germany, except you they know, talked about Jews. I, I'm telling you what. Same thing I'm they telling
1: had. you what. It's funny you make that parallel because I've noticed that there's this. Like putting up walls and people getting scared, looking over fences, kind of an attitude nationally yeah. uh, about other countries and other religions and other cultures that's going on, which looks horrifyingly mm-hmm. like Nazism. Right. We see this encroaching. I mean, the the encroachment of uh, uh, politics and the government with private business and uh, the the repr- radical repression of of the Bill of Rights and all of these things. As being secondary to the will of the state and the will of the the will of private, large private organizations mm-hmm. it's all it's it's like the modern Nazi movement, right you know right uh the only thing they're missing is brown shirts and a red armband
0: mhm I know I know, and you know the church in Germany in its early days were fully supportive of all that mhm of course they had the church flags or the Nazi flags in the church sanctuaries, yeah in the early days, and of course now we have some churches where you got. Guys in military fatigues are t- propelling down from the ceiling on the 4th of July. Uh, nuts. Psycho. I mean, that's not a church you would go to?
1: Uh, it would, maybe, to grab the microphone in the middle of the service and tell them the truth.
0: <laughs> okay. You guys, I'm sorry. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry that was a long-winded story. But. Yep.
1: I got one a little bit similarly long-winded. Okay. And, and you know, obviously, feel free to comment here. Sure. Um, this is from a, a gentleman named Roger Roots. Okay. The Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure one of the most evil books in print. Oh, you've
0: got me intrigued now.
1: Yeah. I I recently obtained the latest edition of West's Criminal Code and Rules, the book containing the rules you need to know if you are ever accused of a federal criminal offense. The book is updated every year, and each new edition supersedes the prior edition. It gets worse every year. The West's edition now runs to more than 1,600 pages with abridgments and supplements. In addition to the rules of criminal procedure, the book contains selected federal criminal statutes, the federal rules of evidence, the federal rules of appellate procedure, and the rules of the Supreme Court of the United States. On virtually every page are mechanisms to hurt, humiliate, control, and enslave people to the government's will, all presented within a framework of procedural rules. Pretty light. Yeah. Um, In theory, these rules provide an accused with avenues to defend himself. But one can judge a scheme of procedural rules by its fruits, and the codification, growth, and expansion of the federal rules of procedure have produced the world's highest incarceration rate, and probably the highest incarceration rate ever registers in any society in human history. A pretty bold statement. Even so, even more significantly, the federal criminal code and its procedural rules and guidelines have almost eliminated criminal trials in many jurisdictions because most defendants are unable to defend themselves effectively under the rules and simply plead guilty. Uh, such is the lopsided nature of the federal rules that that they produced untold mountains of printed accusations and claims against individual Americans while facilitating no more than a few sentences, generally at sentencing hearings in rebuttal in most cases. Slow, slow down a little bit on this. This is a lot to digest. So. Okay. We're a little slower here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just getting so worked up. I know. I know. Me too. I get... Um, footnotes are found on virtually every page of the federal rules, tracing dates of amendments and the steady progression of punishments over time. And general, Congress has ratcheted up sentences, expanded the limit limitation periods and statutes of limitations, uh, expanded rewards for those who cooperate with the government, and limited or eliminated avenues for people to challenge government accusations and court judgments. Uh, and I know that to be the case. Uh, Brother Grigg has has documented several cases uh, happening in places like New Hampshire where uh, all you have to do is accuse somebody of something um, uh, uh, that would would place them under the jurisdiction of DCS rules, and it's enough to have their whole family obliterated, you know, take people Department away. Department of
0: Children's Services comes of breaks up the family.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, some horrific stuff there.
0: Which goes against all the fundamental understanding of people's rights and trial and accusation, yeah. not just America, but All they have to far do back in the history of the West. All they have is bring it up the and West. say,
1: I think this happened, and the judge says, well, that's good enough for me. Rubber stamped. Go get them. Go get the kids. Uh, one is hard-pressed to find crimes described in the book as misdemeanors, even if they were misdemeanors long ago. Today, most federal crimes are felonies, and convictions bring more or less automatic prison time. Altering or, he gives some examples here, altering or removing federal identification numbers, motor vehicle identification numbers, up to five years in federal prison. Using the telephone to incite or to organize, promote, or even encourage a riot, up to five years. Attempting to coerce any federal employee into any political activity, uh, up to three years. Removing or fixing a U.S. customs seal on any merchandise without government permission, up to 10 years in prison. Transporting terrorists on your boat, up to life in prison. Engaging in street gang activity, an additional 10 years may be added to your sentence. Knowingly mis- misleading domain name, uh, u- knowingly using a misleading domain name on the internet in order to attract viewers to online porn, up to 2 years in prison. Sending a letter in the mail urging insurrection, up to 10 years. Trading with Known Pirates on the High Seas. (laughs) This is just a list of punishment
0: guidelines?
1: Yes. This is just, you know, know, things you get after good old red-blooded Americans for. Hmm. Uh, The book seems to provide dozens of separate laws exposing unwary Americans to federal prison for simply filling out paperwork wrong. Note that these provisions are almost never applied to people in government who regularly fill yep. out paperwork incorrectly. that's yep. pretty much par for the course.
0: Yeah, they have that diplomatic immunity just like the U.N. people here do. Yep. Or when they, when the U.N. officials go to Africa and, and molest children like they've been caught red-handed doing frequently. That's like – They're untouchable.
1: Yeah. Well, one, one of the shows that we, we did a while ago, the FBI – guy who was supposed to be vetted by people and the character and all that stuff here he is caught with a bunch of kitty porn on his mm-hmm. computer yeah, and right. and he even gave the headquarters as the phone number yeah <laughs> like yeah crazy yeah. um now he may be punished though maybe Now well, maybe we'll see um i have some theories on that we might have to talk okay. about later there are provisions subjecting Americans to life in prison for cocaine possession. There are open-ended provisions which may or may not criminalize pouring a cup of coffee on the ground and thus violate the Clean Water Act or accidentally catching certain breeds of fish from the oceans. It remains only for a savvy prosecutor to fill in the blanks and add to the list of crimes that Congress may or may not have created. And that's totally true. You watch like shows like Law and & Order and stuff. hmm they decide that this dude's guilty, and they have the most inane, like laws to get this to. to they can
0: f- find something to serve their purpose, in other yeah, words.
1: Yeah, it's 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 like it's totally wacky. Yeah, you know.
0: You know, it seems like I remember is a Solzhenitsyn or one of these guys writing about the Soviet system mm-hmm. that they just added on these ridiculous number of things for mm-hmm. this same purpose to be used.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. That's. I, I think it mm-hmm. was Solzhenitsyn. Yeah. Solzhenitsyn. Uh, few people are aware that the federal rules, not just the, not just of criminal procedure, but of civil procedure, appellate procedure, bankruptcy procedure, and criminal court procedure are riddled with provisions that grant more time to the government to file and respond to pleadings and briefs, greater privileges of appearance, and greater ease of prosecuting and defending litigation than individuals in the private sector the government governing advisory committees that produce these rules of procedure have offered up no explanation for these filing requirement disparities, and the reason
0: why is they're totally unaccountable, yeah. who holds them accountable to say you're stacking the deck for the prosecution, you know you're protecting vested interests because you're the ones writing the rules mm-hmm. um, you know people might yawn when they hear this like, "Oh, so what? this is what until but it's you till it's you." And you find out it's all stacked against you to to actually prove your innocence, mm-hmm. doing things like this. Little subtle things, like they're saying the government can take their time on when they want to do stuff. You know, um, this whole thing, for example, with Ken Starr. Remember when he was doing these indictments of all these Clinton officials? Mm-hmm. and You know, a lot of those people were rotten people, and you know, uh, they were mm-hmm. doing probably mostly the foul stuff. But now, having been in some court cases and things myself... I recognize that when you give somebody no checks on their power as investigators, when they can pull out something and drag you under testimony years after the fact or many years later or again and again give the same testimony, it becomes like, uh, Inquisition, Star Chamber, everything combined. Mm-hmm. And basically it's just become a terror. Mm-hmm. The legal system has just become a tyrant over all people.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. It's, um, when the guilty are hemmed in, that's when God intervenes um in a in a in a destructive way. Yeah. In in my experience.
0: Well you know, um this goes back to that mental image that William Grigg painted that I thought was so beautiful about whether you're an individualist or a statist, is when you're driving down the road and you see a man in a uniform, a policeman or somebody, beating a man on the ground with a stick or something like that, what is your first instinct? Is it What has that man done? Why, you know, good thing that they've got him, and they're giving it to him to stop him. Or is it, what right do they have to be beating that man? And that tells you really where your first instinct in your heart Mm -hmm. is. Is it protecting the individual, or is it protecting the state? Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid to say, for the Christian community in America, for the most part, that decision is pretty easy to know where most people side Hmm. in that.
1: Um, it's, I know it's ridiculous, and
0: and I have been the last few years in a process of migrating from one side to the mm-hmm. other.
1: You can't even watch Ultraman at this point without rooting for the Godzilla.
0: I know, <laughs> and I really feel bad because he's got the Science Patrol working against him yeah. and Ultraman. Yeah, you know, you're right. It's changed how I'll you know watch a kid show like yeah. That, that. Yeah, um,
1: Wiley Coyote, same thing. Yeah, you know? misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Uh, federal Rule of Civil Procedure. 12A provides that the U.S. government parties have 60 days to answer civil complaints compared with only 20 days for private sector parties. Uh, this same 60-day, 20-day filing disparity applies to the filing of cross-claims, counterclaims, and third-party claims as well.
0: Yeah, don't lose us in the noise here when you
1: go through this. Okay. Federal rule of appellate procedure provides that litig- litigants have 30 days to file appeals in civil cases. But if the United States or an officer or agency thereof is a party, then notice of appeal may be filed by any party within sixty days after such entry. Uh, Federal rule of appeal at Procedure four B provides that the United States has thirty days to appeal from a criminal to appeal from criminal judgments compared with only ten days for criminal defendants. Yeah. Uh, uh just on and on. There are also provisions that rule uh, there are also provisions of the rules that grant the government greater privileges with regard to the filing of amicus curie briefs in support of government positions. Uh, federal rule of appellate procedure 29 allows the United States or its officer or agency or a state, territory, commonwealth of the District of Columbia to file an amicus curiae brief. Without the consent of the parties or leave of court, while any other amicus curie may may file a brief only by leave of court or if the brief states that all parties have consented to its filing. That's yeah. crazy.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I caught all that. Okay, but
1: they can. The state can file an amicus curie brief whenever it feels like, uh, without consent of the parties or leave of the court. Mm-hmm. While uh any other amicus curie brief may file uh may only be filed by leave of the court or if the brief states that all parties have been contacted and consented to its filing. Okay. So the bottom line
0: on all this is just basically it's a stack deck. Yes. That's what it really yeah. gets to. Why why will the government why are they so afraid then to bring these terrorists to trial? When they have all these things in a stacked deck Except for the fact that they don't have any evidence at all. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I can think why well, they're afraid to bring them to trial with all these extra tools that they have at their disclosure. Is that in fact what I think has already happened in some other trials already is that it turned out there was no they're evidence yeah. to justify them holding these people. And it's of course a big black black eye on the government. Mm-hmm. But because otherwise they they do have the advantage in
1: the in the court things, if I'm summarizing what you're talking about here. Huge advantages. Uh, When compounded over time in federal jurisdictions since the 1930s, when the feds began codifying rules of court procedure, these differing deadlines for drafting briefs and pleadings have translated into millions of hours of extra time for Justice Department lawyers to research and prepare litigation documents. The disparities have almost certainly contributed to profound inequalities exhibited between Americans of different social income and political strata in the past several decades. Filing fees, $350 for non-government parties, free for the government. (laughs) Okay. Americans seeking to access the federal courts independently will find that the filing fees are substantial. It now costs $350 to file a petition or a lawsuit in federal court. That is, unless you are a government lawyer and then there are no filing fees whatsoever. Filing an appeal, another $450 for parties in the private sector. Again, free for the government.
0: And, and, and their argument is, well, this really is the American people, the government. So, therefore, there's no reason for the American people to charge themselves. That's their argument they're going to use. But the effective thing is, is that the poor cannot afford justice. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Um, again, free for the government. In recent years... There have been repeated arguments that certain politically marginalized individuals, incarcerated prisoners, for example, file too many frivolous, frivolous lawsuits, which mm-hmm. is the first thing that came to my mind when I yeah, read this. right. Congress responded by drastically limiting the rights of such people to file suits in federal court. Not so for the great single source of truly frivolous cases, the U.S. Justice Department. Exactly. That's what I was saying. Whose thinking. access to the courts remains limitless this entity alone is responsible for thousands of false accusations against innocent americans many of whom have languished in prisons over over the decades and there is no incentive for them not to do that yep that's true 100% correct nobody's watching them mm-hmm. when neoconservatives gripe that federal courts coddle defendants uh you know uh or would coddle terrorists quote unquote mm-hmm. They are depicting a fictional court system that exists only in their imaginations. In practice, the federal courts overwhelmingly favor the government, and the rules of procedure are loaded with tricks and trapdoors for the poor and the unwary. Anyone who faces the federal government in court knows that these protections are elusive, far-fetched, and in some cases illusionary. Most so-called defense lawyers shiver in fear at the thought of trying to actually defend a client from a federal prosecution. Most begin their defense by seeking a plea bargain. Here, and he gives an internet link, here is an interesting article describing the exodus of criminal defense lawyers from the field due to the increasingly lopsided rules of procedure. Criminal defense is not only unrewarding financially, it can be downright dangerous. And this was the most, this was the saddest part of this article in my opinion. Many of the most high-profile defense lawyers of the past century, including Clarence Darrow, William Kunstler, F. Lee Mm -hmm. Bailey, Mm -hmm. Bruce Cutler, Lynn Stewart, Jeffrey Freger, and doubtless many others, have been subjected to criminal prosecution themselves after defending clients too zealously. Mm -hmm. A recurring trick in federal courts occurs when defense lawyers convince their clients to plead guilty to what a defendant believes is a minor court, is a, is a minor count of a large indictment in exchange for the government dropping other counts. After the guilty plea, a sentencing investigation is conducted by the U.S. probation officer, which is theoretically neutral but while in practice cl- works closely with the prosecution. The probation officer's pre sentence investigation report invariably recommends a sentence consistent with the conviction on all the counts that were quote unquote dropped. By the government in the plea deal, and the defendant is then sentenced according to the worst allegations of the prosecution, without any ability to challenge such allegations at trial. The law books are literally filled with appeals of such, sent- such sentences. I have read many, many dozens of these cases myself. There are probably hundreds. Here is a thoughtful dissent by a federal judge regarding a shameful practice, and there's internet link. Mm-hmm. What makes the federal criminal code truly despicable is its disguise as a fair code and an equal procedure, procedural protections. Indeed, this deception makes West's federal criminal code and rules worthy of inclusion among other infamous, infamous, infamously cruel books of human history. It deserves like Sharia law, maybe. Yeah. Well, at least here you can actually find the book. Okay. It deserves a place on the shelves next to the Communist Manifesto, Mein Kampf, and Keynes' General Theory of Employment, Interest, and Money. The Federal Criminal Code documents the advancement of coordinated, systematic schemes of state tyrannical control, with a with a procedural overlay. Who was that again? What, Roger Roots?
0: And and that was at what location?
1: Uh, I don't recall.
0: Okay. How do you spell his last name? Somebody wants to look that up.
1: R-O-O-T-S.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Um, it must have been in his website. Roger Roots. Some reason I, some, for some reason, I included the author, but I didn't include the, okay. the link. I apologize. Uh,
0: um, from your knowledge of the Old Testament and studying God's word, because you pour into it every day, mm-hmm. what do you think God's view is of conducting justice that way?
1: He sentenced beings that were divine to die like men for exactly the same offense. But Psalm eighty-two, he literally took away their divinity. Uh, um, it, and, divinity, and, yeah, yeah. Phew, boy, we'll get into explain in those. that. <laughs> um, the the ancient Israeli, uh, and the ancient Hebrew idea was that anybody who could live to uh, live forever, that was the central characteristic of divinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that sense. Angels could be looked at as divine by doesn't their definition. That, yeah, it doesn't. By their yeah, head. it doesn't mean that they were God as we think of, you know, right, uh, uh, right. an uncreated necessary being uh, of which springs, you know, sprang from nothing. It's right? almost another
0: way of saying non-human in a yeah. way.
1: Yeah, and really that would that's what it was. It was. Mm-hmm. You can look at some some words yeah. that refer to that as more of a place of residence term mm-hmm. uh, in the Hebrew.
0: And see Dr. Michael Heiser, another expert on the field, can explain this further yeah, yeah I'm sure he would
1: do like a hundred times better than Well, I'm, I mean like, he just have over my shoes. more details yeah on it, yeah um but anyway, the point is psalm eighty two there are there are uh uh beings there who have this uh uh quote unquote divinity in view, and uh God takes it away mm-hmm. God says, you did this, you did this, you did this." You are now sentenced to die like men.
0: Okay, so the, so even in the heavenlies, they're held accountable for that behavior. Mm-hmm. That is the behavior. What does he talk about? The nations of the earth.
1: Does, does, does he hold them accountable in this regard? Mm-hmm. He does. He he even holds his own people accountable. In regard as, as yeah. you know, yeah. a, anybody anybody with even a you know a minor thought process through mm-hmm. the Old Testament can see.
0: So he didn't only just talk about quote family issues. Is what he held these people accountable for. Mm-hmm. He actually cared about this stuff in addition to mm-hmm. the quote family issues. It's
1: very interesting that in um, it's very interesting that in Judges they constantly say, especially in the latter half of the book, uh, "and Israel had no king," mm-hmm. and Israel had no king. Something bad would happen, and they say, "and Israel had mm-hmm. no king." Uh, I believe that that is likely a reference not only to uh, the kingship uh, An earthly kingship But also mm-hmm. uh, A spiritual rulership With perhaps Psalm 82 Right In view where he's They're saying uh, They don't have The spiritual headship there That's going to proclaim Justice and righteousness Because those two right. things Are really closely in Which which would
0: have Influenced them too Yes In other words Would have mm-hmm. come down And flowed to them mm-hmm. uh, You know When you think about Our Lord and Savior Jesus What was it that He succumbed to That led to his death Was it not a corrupt court system Mm -hmm. led by his own people, the the religious people and the kings of the earth, Mm -hmm. together, that both had a corrupt court system Mm -hmm. in both trials?
1: Correct. Correct.
0: So that might be something, a priority in his mind, given that that was what led to his torture and execution,
1: unfairly. Well...
0: Himself. He experienced it in his own flesh.
1: Well, yeah. Um, I mean, we have... Both, you know, um, we have different—I don't want to say different views. I want everybody to come to the truth, but you have a tendency to want to speak to um your evangelical brethren, I think, more than I do. Not mm-hmm. that I don't; it's just mm-hmm. yeah. I find my interest. Where the in, burdens are, yeah, yeah central yeah. burdens. Yeah, um, um, it's 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 always perplexed me that they can't that people roundly tend to not see. Uh, a codified moral code and absolute moral value values within the Old Testament and the New Testament because they tend to use uh, most people tend to view uh, the rulings and stuff say in First Timothy or uh, Ephesians six as unilateral commands mm-hmm. and then throw out the larger the larger works the larger ideas the larger you know mm-hmm. ideas like Romans. Chapter one and the idea of natural law, mm-hmm. uh, justice right. for all. Those all those things get thrown out in favor of unilateral commands. All the while, uh, mm-hmm. all the while pro- proclaiming loudly against what they perceive would be the quacking of the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It. It. Um,
0: right. Well, it's like Jesus said. They worried about how much tenth they gave, tithe of their different. Mm-hmm. Well, it's exactly what he says. He says, you you give your little mint and cumin or whatever it was. I remember the little spices they had. But it says, you know, you forego justice. Mm-hmm. I know. That was Jesus' direct words. Mm-hmm. So how come that's not reflected in the priorities in our own Christian culture? Now, if you do do it. You're put in the camp of the people who disregard all of Scripture, a certain progressive liberal camp of Christianity. Yeah. Like, it's an either-or. This is what I don't understand, is that you're put in a camp of either you're going to be so conservative that you're just going to want to control everybody authoritarian, you know, and cling to the Bible, mm-hmm. or you're going to be in a camp that cares about the well-being of other people, but you disregard Scripture. mm mm-hmm. And I think that's a false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. I think a a clear d- grasping and clinging to the entire Scripture is going to lead you to seek for the justice of people so in your society. I've noticed
1: myself being um, extremely uh, extremely burdened by uh, uh, justice uh, mm-hmm. for for unrighteous unrighteous acts that were were carried out, and justice for uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. For for certain things, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is the the uh, massacre, uh, which was a massacre that happened uh, uh, from the contras, which we were you mm-hmm. know, supporting down there. Yeah. They went and they were going over the border and blowing up bridges and killing people. And that yeah. one was a particularly bad one, yeah. where they even sent a New York Times reporter down and took photos of and stuff. Mm-hmm. That that particular one can be tied directly back to CIA assets and stuff, yeah. uh, uh, especially so that. Just about everybody who carried it out uh, went through a thing called the School of the Americas, right. uh, which is which they were getting so much flack over, the government. They closed it down, and then a year later opened it up as the Western Hemisphere mm-hmm. Policy Influential it's Center. Same though. thing Blackwater does. Yeah, They'll just change your name and yeah, figure all the ac- accusation uh, goes and, away. And, and, and when people go down there to protest that, they are regularly uh, – and, and this is coming – this information is – from uh from I believe Major Joseph Baer, I might have mm-hmm. the name wrong, mm-hmm. but he was a guy who taught there, saying that there's now no accountability, and the people who protest against the against the camp are are regularly denied their federal rights mm-hmm. uh bill of rights they're thrown in jail without due process.
0: You know I used to laugh at those people, yeah. I used to think they were kooky, well, they did that kind of thing.
1: well, praise God that you've moved you've moved on,
0: well, I guess I'm kooky. I guess I'm with them, but you know, those are the people that maybe would come to my defense if I was a victim of these yeah, kind of things. exactly. Whereas my ev- other evangelical brethren would say, Psh, "Forget him. Mm-hmm. He's on the other side now. Well, you know, forget well, about his rights."
1: Well, one thing that one thing that has stuck with me of late, uh, two things. One is that as as we've talked about, you know, different places that we've seen mm-hmm. where. Uh, a large morass of people think that they've got it all figured out, and yeah. well, the Lord's really moving on our thing, and it, right. we go there, which and we
0: have to be careful ourselves. Yeah. in in, in and that thinking, yeah.
1: we, we go there, but it but it seems like there's really not enough. There's it. it it's really that's really a patina, you know, of words mm-hmm. over over a dead animal. Yeah, and uh, then you go to other people that we know, you know, who are doing amazing evangel- evangelistic work. I just saw somebody mm-hmm. else. There's a uh, a a good friend of ours you know has uh, it, it's just a uh, uh, has started a friend of ours that makes videos mm-hmm. um you are yeah you know, um I just noticed that somebody who got saved through watching his videos now has started making videos and doing radio shows to influence people like he was influenced mm-hmm. you know so God has his people doing what he's supposed to be doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um is he getting a lot of this person you're making these videos you're telling does he get a lot of money like this earlier story I read out of profit for profits he because he get a lot of grant not, money
1: because because what does that say about god if God needs somebody to have a million dollars, he'll give them a million dollars but you know why does he need a million dollars? It
0: helps if you can scare people if you can scare people a lot, the money rolls in
1: yeah but the but the gospel the gospel is all about free will. You freely have accepted your whatever it is, the the rights and responsibilities of entering into this kingdom. Right? Um mm-hmm. uh, you don't need money for that. You don't need um you don't need, you know, a fancy car. You don't need a big house. All you need is the ability to to speak clearly and and love other people.
0: Well, since we worship the gods of Mammon and Bacchus, that doesn't fit very well in our worship of those foreign gods, which is centrally well, uh, well, part and, of our culture, including the Christian and this, culture.
1: And this bringing it back to our the article earlier, one of the things that I've been very influenced by is uh, a statement that uh, the gentleman uh, he was a slave trade owner uh, and then he got saved and then realized that was mm-hmm. unrighteous. Uh, during this, during the this trial of these, of these slaves, um, uh, the lawyer says, I think it's a very good idea that we can get you off, Scott, we can get these people off with minor sentences. And he says, that's not how we're gonna do this trial. Mm-hmm. He says, well, what do you mean? If we go in there and we plead innocent to all this stuff, we will be massacred, sir. And he says, uh, his reply was, uh, we will not fight this, our, our, our fight is not in the field of stodgy old procedural rules, but in the field of righteousness. This is where we will make our claim. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that is brilliant.
0: Wouldn't you like to hear that some more amongst other Christian act political activists? That yeah. that would be, rather than doing trickery and stuff like that, that that mm. would be how they would win.
1: Jumping yeah. in bed with the Moonies. and Right, you know, taking whatever. money
0: from yeah. them and... Patting your back on stuff, people of ill repute reputation, but because they're on the same political party we'll look the other way.
1: Well Yeah. And let I'd righteousness like let
0: God do it. Let God be the one to bring
1: Well, you know, who knows who knows how this all plays out. I have I am obviously not in a position to to judge who's in and who's out, who's yeah. doing the works of Christ and uh, all of those things. We'll, just we'll post
0: that on futurequake.com. You'll see the list. <laughs> <laughs> or we, could have, we could have nominations. Is that, like that red phone in the corner is yeah. all about? It we rings can and we could have nominations from our futurian listeners. Yeah, they could say little who's little, in and yeah, who's out.
1: Like, little internet polls and yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, I am um, kidding. everyone. But the, the again the interesting thing and and the sort of the scary thing is is that, um, you know the one, the one criterion concrete criteria that that Jesus gives. Uh, that you'll know his disciples by, his followers by, is how much they love one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then earlier, to find. You keep
0: saying that love thing all the time. I know. Well, it's because later you're on. You're getting in the way of our righteous indignation. sixty in How truck. are we going to keep hating people like God's called us to do if you Back keep throwing at
1: working for FARC. And, oh, you're so you know, gullible. I know. I know. I you're never
0: going to be able to overthrow Rome by doing this, which is what, you know, zealots, what we're called you're to right. do. I'm
1: not the one who's overthrowing Rome. <laughs> Jesus is. And he's doing it in love.
0: Hey, we have gone through over an hour on our uh, two stories.
1: We, well, but I think it was I think it was a productive productive show. You
0: know, we'll find out from our listeners. Hopefully, they'll yeah. let us know. Yeah. Um, c- can I do another little one? Has it's a, it's a one pager basically, it has a historical. I think you'll find this interesting. I'm, I'm going back, um, going back to the same old mm-hmm. story again. This is another one in that series from the Tennessean. But this one, I think, has a historical context mm-hmm. I think you'll find interesting. Okay. Uh, from the same author, Bob Smetana at uh, The Tennessean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it says religious conflict isn't new to Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro is the city just outside of Nashville, home to Middle Tennessee State University, mm-hmm. where this mosque was. It was vandalized and stuff like that. Sort mm-hmm. of the the striking point of, of things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh. It says, uh, Catholic immigrants' plans fueled protest in Murfreesboro in 1929. Mm. Okay, A small group from a controversial faith announced plans to build a house of worship in Murfreesboro. Angry residents took to the streets in protest. They claimed the project endangered the community's security and way of life and was being funded by suspicious outsiders. They marched to the town courthouse, demanding the project be stopped immediately. It was 1929, and the KKK organized the march. The cause of the controversy? St. Rose of Lima Catholic Church, Murfreesboro First Catholic Church, being built to serve Irish, German, and Italian newcomers. A group of protesters marched the same route to the courthouse last summer, only this time fearful that a new Islamic center for the town's burgeoning Muslim population would spark anti-American terrorism. Indeed, the nation has a history of religious conflict, often driven by immigration, We've always celebrated our immigrant past while being uneasy about our immigration, immigrant present, said uh, Daniel Tickenor, a uh, political science professor at the University of Oregon. Anti-Catholic controversies began in the 1830s when a Catholic convent was burned to the ground in Boston. Distrust of Catholics didn't end until the 1960s in some parts of the country. Other faiths, including Jews and Mormons, also have been seen as suspect. Um, David Campbell, co-author of American Grace, How Religion Unites and Divide Us, said controversy over the mosque in Murfreesboro and other similar centers of the country isn't surprising. Although Muslims have lived in Middle Tennessee for decades, most haven't built the kinds of social networks needed for religious tolerance to thrive. It's not enough for people to live in the same community, Campbell said. People have to have personal connections. Until you have the weaving together of people's friendship and intermarriage, these conflicts will endure. Campbell believes it could take decades for tension over Islam to subside. But once people of different faiths develop personal ties, Campbell said, relationships improve. His book argues that those social networks have allowed Americans of diverse faiths to live together peacefully. Some mosque opponents fear things won't ever get better. They look to Europe, which has a longer history of Muslim immigration and where tensions over Islam have run high in recent years. Bill French, here's Bill French again, a local critic of Islam told mosque opponents recently to keep their eyes on England, where clashes over Islam have flared. A few schools in England have begun imposing rules from Ramadan on non-Muslim students, such uh, as uh, such as no tests during the Muslim holy month. Police and member, well, that's at least until they get off for Christmas break. Hmm. Um, Police and members of the English Defense League, which wants to stop what it calls the Islamification of England, have clashed in the streets during the anti-Muslim protests. They're about 20 years ahead of us, French said. French and Jerry Gordon, a contributor to the Nashville-based New English Review online magazine, are friends of Dutch politician Geert Wilders, who wants to end Muslim immigration to his country. He is on trial in Amsterdam on hate speech charges. A recent poll in Germany by the Friedrich Ebert Foundation found that 58% of those surveyed wanted to restrict the rights of Muslims to practice their faith. By contrast, most Tennesseans, according to a Middle Tennessee State University poll, say they support the rights of Muslims to practice their faith. Going a step further, building trust between Muslims and their critics may take longer, especially as the war on terror grinds on. Jack Weatherford, longtime Murfreesboro uh, resident and former chairman of Mid-South Bank, believes most Middle Civisians welcome their Muslim neighbors. But all it takes is one or two extremists to cause major problems, he said. I don't have a good answer on how to get people together until we know that the extremists who want to wipe out America can be handled, he said. So, the the main reason I read that was I thought it was very, very ironic that the same exact activities were going on about the Catholics. Yeah. You know, 80 years ago.
1: It's funny. It's funny you were reading about that. How the, um, you know, like everybody's scared about the Catholics and the, the fear subsided and the fear subsided, you know, uh, in the 1960s. Right. And, uh, it, in my mind, I could like thinking, I think there's a few people that still fall <laughs> yeah, into yeah, that category. Right,
0: right. Well, and, uh, you know, I, this was a little early for our time, but during the Kennedy, uh, you know, running for, for, uh, president, mm-hmm. uh, there were many, many me talking that, you know, that basically the Pope would immediately give the orders. You know, down through America, once he was elected, um, even though I don't know how well a good practicing Catholic he was, Yeah. or his family.
1: Thou shall not commit adultery seemed to have slipped his mind. But it
0: was very similar, I think, to what we heard about Obama and Islam. Yeah, you know, kind of thing. We have a few more minutes of time. We have probably about thirteen minutes before we need to break right. into email so you got something you oh, want to read for us
1: yeah I've got this other article here by Roger roots it's very interesting okay it's uh it's it's short roots s- kicked yep well you got about 13 minutes okay um, the long forgotten obligation to resist the state on behalf of others by Roger roots okay um, I was recently doing research in a law library when I stumbled upon an obscure court opinion from 1890 Roberts versus Stuyvesant Safe Deposit Company, 123 New York, 57, New York Court of Appeals, 1890. So it's Mm -hmm. quite dated. The opinion gave me pause as I reflected on just how much the principles of American law have been altered by the lawyers and judges of the past century. The case involved a woman, Roberts, who had stored a large sum of cash, some U.S. bond certificates, and numerous other bonds issued by various railroad and telegraph companies, in a safe deposit box owned and operated by Stuyvesant Safe Deposit Company in New York City in 1873. For reasons that are unclear, Roberts became a target of the local police and prosecutor establishment, and a group of New York police officers arrived at the Stuyvesant Safe, safe Company with a search warrant to search the woman's box. Um, apparently under the suspicion that the box might contain various securities, including a large number of U.S. bond certificates that had been stolen from the Third National Bank of Baltimore. The Stuyvesant Safe Company's officers protested against the cops, but made no other resistance and furnished the officers with the means of identifying the safe in which the plaintiff's property was and pointed out the safe to the officers. No attempt was made by them to interfere with the officers who expressed a determination to enter the safe by force. The search did not substantiate the cops' cop's suspicions. Other than some cash, nothing corresponded to the property described in the search warrant was found, with the exception of 14 U.S. bond certificates, which were commonly owned by Americans of the period. Uh, Notably, the warrant contained nothing that would enable anyone to identify uh, the bond certificates by number, date, issue, or otherwise as the stolen property. Nonetheless... The cops snatched all of the woman's money and bond certificates, no doubt with the intention of cobbling together some kind of criminal prosecution. Um, There's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. The booty was not returned to the court uh, that issued the warrant as the warrant commanded, but instead taken directly by the D.A., The D.A. probably spent several minutes trying to figure out how the woman's property could implicate her in a crime, but ultimately came up with nothing. Instead of returning the stolen money and certificates, however, the D.A. contacted several of the woman's purported creditors, who seemed to have loomed large from the shadows of the narrative and were probably friends or allies of the city's power structure. These creditors swooped in and claimed the booty as their own. In all, the city, the woman lost over... $40,000 Forty thousand dollars worth of money and securities, which is huge in 1890. Yeah. yeah. Um, prosecutors and cops are notoriously difficult to sue, so Miss Roberts sued the safe company, pointing to the contract the company had signed when it offered its safe deposit boxes for rent. One provision of the contract provided that no person would be allowed inside the vaults for the purpose of opening any safe except the renter or his substitute. Another clause mandated that the two persons would never be allowed to enter the vault at the same time unless personally known to one of the bank officers. The highest court in New York held that the safe deposit company was liable for the property taken from the vault by officers because the company failed to resist the taking of property not described in the search warrant.
0: Wow, so they have an obligation to resist mm-hmm. police. Uh, according, Interesting. Uh, huh.
1: According to this, this ruling, yeah. although the high court did not hold that the safe deposit Safe company employees were legally obligated to resist the police by force. The court stated that the company manager should have made such opposition to the trespass as they could and should have made made under the circumstances. Um, for example, the bank manager should have demanded to scrutinize the search warrant, notified Miss Roberts immediately, monitored the cop's search of the safe, and forbade the cop's taking of any items not listed in the search warrant. Such a ruling seemed astounding from the perspective of today's legal regime, which overwhelmingly favors the state in most matters of police prerogative and forgives almost any ordinary citizen for mm-hmm. obedience to the state. But this is a long time ago. Yeah. Though. Nonetheless, the robbers' decision was consistent with precedents that had been in the books for centuries. Throughout early American history, every American had a legal right to resist and defy authorities who came to search or seize property or make an arrest without following proper procedures. Early American law even allowed third-party intermeddlers to forcefully rescue an arrestee from authorities who made unlawful arrests. And if a rescuer killed a sheriff while freeing an arrestee from unlawful arrest, the rescuer was guilty of only manslaughter. Mm -hmm. What made the robber's decision unusual in my mind is its holding that a private contract may obligate us to make resistance against the state on behalf of others. The only other area of the law that made analogous that may be analogous involves certain client privilege situations such as when an attorney is obligated to resist the state's warrantless taking of privileged documents. Um, uh, how are we doing on time? We got about eight minutes. Okay. Um fast forward, uh, fast forward to 2010. The law has evolved to make almost any citizen's resistance to police aggression obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. Today, Americans are subject to arrest for asking questions to cops. A little lady in Atlanta was recently arrested for asking a cop why in response to his orders to move. Modern Americans have even been arrested for inserting money into expired parking meters to right. protect strangers from parking cops. Is that true? Yes, yeah, true. That's true. horrible. Yeah. Others have been arrested for alerting their fellow citizens of police speed traps, either by CB radios or by flashing their headlights. Right. That's a big deal, too. Really? Oh, they say, oh, that's illegal. You can't do that. Yikes. Yeah. Police in many jurisdictions make it their regular practice to shoot family pets that approach or bark at them during their, quote, investigations. Lawyers have been have even been arrested for obstruction of justice merely for offering their service to arrestees during arrests. Is this person a clone of William Grigg? I don't know, but he is very interesting. He's, I'm only recently. This is the most Grig-esque person I've ever yeah. heard. Well, I believe I believe Mr. Roots is in fact a lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Mr. Griggs is more of a right. writer. But it's it's Same very, perspective. Though. Very very similar perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Today, the legal principles behind the Roberts decision have been turned on their head. Consider the case of AT&T, which has signed millions of contracts with its customers agreeing to keep its customers' telecommunications private and confidential. In 2005, the New York Times revealed that AT&T and other other government-friendly telecommunications providers have been systematically violating these contracts on a massive scale, in addition to feloniously, feloniously breaking federal wiretapping statutes by allowing the government to have unlimited access to telecommunications without warrants. Lawsuits against AT&T by the company's customers have been systematically stomped by government lawyers and federal judges, and Congress even enacted a series of bills to immunize the telecoms from all liability relating to the issue. The CEO of, of the one major telecom firm, QWest, that refused to cooperate with the NSA, in its illegal warrantless eavesdropping, was criminally indicted and imprisoned for insider trading. Uh I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Uh One can only imagine that what would happen today to a bank manager who might demand to scrutinize a search warrant in the hands of police officers, let alone one who might dare to cross-check the inventory of a police search against a warrant or prohibit officers from taking any items not listed in a search warrant. Today's courts have imposed a virtual anything-goes approach to police to investigative practices.
0: Which is the definition of a totalitarian police. State.
1: Yeah. Search warrants are now often executed as paramilitary raids accompanied by massive displays of force, which is t- entirely true. Tell mm-hmm. that poor family that got the had the little girl asleep on the couch who got shot by the cop, mm-hmm. uh, who shot, shot her through the window, you know. Right. And right. they're in Detroit.
0: Now, Mr. Root, where on this particular story
1: did you get where you got that from?
0: Um, where can our listeners get the copy of this?
1: Again, I'm sorry. I just put down by Roger Roots. I'm, I apologize. Do
0: you remember where you saw uh, it? it? Might have
1: been on Lou Rockwell.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, uh, the first one, the first one I saw on a news aggregator I go to a lot, um, called Cryptagon.com. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. Very interst- interesting. Mr. Root, interesting.
0: Root sounds like he'd be an interesting person to have on Future Quake. Sometimes. Uh, that's
1: what I was thinking. Um, to really talk about what has happened to
0: our legal system. Mm-hmm. Um, be, be curious to know if he's a Christian, too. If this is something that... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, amongst the libertarian camp, you've got some Christians in there and you've got a lot of people that aren't. Mm-hmm. Christians ought to be present.
1: You hope so. Talking
0: about the biblical, you know, Mm underpinnings. I can remember when we had a show uh, out at the WRFN site, and we had some Ron Paul supporters Mm -hmm. there. We interviewed Rand Paul on air. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, I don't know if you remember, but they thought it was so amazing that they could meet Christians that actually could think for themselves. (laughs) They were dumbfounded. Yeah. You know, these were sort of younger people they thought that that Christians could think critically because our reputation was anything other than that sure and it doesn't seem to bother Christians if their reputation is that way
1: i know that's the one thing that i can't figure out um it would be one thing it would be one thing if if our reputations were such because of a massive like a massive facade or something you uh-huh. know it's like we're all, you know everybody's a brainiac in Christianity, but there's just some sort of like chip they implanted in people. It's difficult to get around. Uh-huh. The truth of the matter is, is that people regularly wear that badge with pride. Right? You know, they say broad-minded is spelled S-I-N. Uh-huh. You know? Hey,
0: that'd be a neat song.
1: It is a song. That it, is. <laughs> it is a song. It's actually a pretty good song. That word broad-minded <laughs> is spelled S-I-N. Maybe
0: when we eventually do our record album, that's what we need to yeah. have is uh, actually finally get that out there yeah we'll be the next Loven Brothers. brother word
1: broad minded is spelled t o m there
0: you go, that's pretty good
1: yeah. um, I know a few listeners who would like that too I mean, yeah, yeah yeah
0: no, that's not true, you know what let's uh go on and get into our listener mail if that's okay with you, yeah, please. and uh we will uh we will get started okay. in that for our last segment for this week on mm-hmm. future quake um Again, if you sent a comment, uh, please let us know if we can read your email on air. Mm-hmm. Let us know if you can do it the, like, when you first sent it, that's the best. Um, if I send you a point and say, hey, I'd like to add this to the list, let me know if, uh, we can read it, because we certainly, uh, and, and that includes if you have critical comments about us, because we don't want to just, so we're promoting positive words and things like that. And, um, so I'll leave it at that. Here's one from, uh, Brother Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, And, uh, I tell you what, let me, let me, uh, let me skip that. And I'm going to read this one from somebody called, uh, Thunderbird is their name. You mean
1: like the stuff that you buy at the cheap? No, 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 no,
0: no, no, Not that. This is, this is, this is, this is Thunderbird. Thunderbird, B-Y-R-D. Okay.
1: Mm -hmm. Does it come with grape juice or?
0: (laughs) Now, um, let, let me let me jump into this. Uh, uh, Thunderbird says, uh, "Guys, I've just got done listening to your your ayahuasca broadcast, 22nd through 26th." Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know to attack you guys for the work you do on your radio show, but I must tell you that I think you're making a horrible mistake. And if part of the show has not gone out over the airwaves yet. I will strongly appeal to you to stop it where it is and broadcast something else. Um, the show that I listen to reads like an advertisement for and darn near an endorsement of the ayahuasca gospel, both because the book we and the philosophy. Because we haven't
1: unilaterally slammed him and called him a sinner and told him he's going to hell. Well, I don't know. Because we, we allowed him to express an opinion.
0: I It must have come along to him that we were promoting it. Yeah. But, uh he says, How on earth do you, oh, all right, I'm he sorry. He says, you let this man rattle on and on about his beliefs with very little rebuttal. In other words, we didn't attack we him early. We haven't attacked him, yeah. And what rebuttal there was was pretty weak and vague. Um, and he says that around 107 in the interview, Mr. Ellenboss tells a minister who contacted him and tried to tell him the truth, and you guys began speaking about Pharisees. Don't you guys think that the minister was simply trying to tell Mr. Ellenboss the truth? And the things Mr. Ellenboss says about Jesus around 114 and 115, why didn't you correct him on this? He um, says, I've been researching DMT and ayahuasca phenomena for about two and a half years now. Um, he says, I read ayahuasca gospel the first week it was out, I believe. I, and I'm not claiming to be an expert, but one thing I'm sure of, the most dangerous thing about this business is it seeks to create true believers the worst thing to do right now seems to me is to increase your cr- increase awareness amongst young people of its existence. We hear that a lot talking about like these drugs and things, mm-hmm. is that we're actually letting people know who had actually no idea it now they're want to go. Try. And now they're gonna go do it. Yeah. Um, uh it says uh I realize you may agree with me on that point. You may believe it's the best Correct. thing to do is to tell about it mm-hmm. and then go on to warn about it. My point is here is that your broadcast did very little to warn and much to advertise. Says, I really like your radio show. I listen to it often. I'm not your enemy. I'm a fellow worker in the same field you plow. I want to point out to you that, uh, um, well, it just says some some things about how they're trying to be supportive. Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, I had responded and uh, I told them, I thank you that they did this in, in a thoughtful way. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was relatively. And and I enclosed my response. You know, I went through. Quite a quite a lengthy discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you summarize it for us? Well, yeah, I, I'll, I'll I'll say some things. I'm just trying to see if there's anything private in here. I uh, said uh, thank you for the private rebuke. You exhibited a restraint that sets a standard for all of us. I also, acknowledge your genuine desire not to seek harm to the body, Jesus, or others, particularly due to any unwise action on our parts, which I suspect do happen on occasion, given the controversial subject matter we cover every week, which Tom and I pray about every week beforehand asking the Holy Spirit to help us to be a stepping stone to Him and not a stumbling block. We knew the potential for some to interpret our restraint with Mr. Ellenboss as being some type of endorsement or at least toleration. However, I made a commitment never to exploit a guest by setting them up to blast them on air, but rather to apply the golden rule and treat them the way I would want to be treated, and extend the love of Christ to them and gently appeal to them to consider their own words and thoughts. Uh, although it is difficult for those in the grip of the New Age, particularly since our guest has, quote, heard it all in terms of reasoning from his earlier Christian influences, and I felt only the love of God and a general rebuke could possibly bear any fruit. This is me talking. Mm -hmm. I said, as far as the audience is concerned, I felt that his life story, which was much worse than the real book, was a tale of missed opportunities and failures by Christians in his life, although he ultimately bears the brunt of responsibility for his choices. I wanted the audience to know that young people like him may be sitting in our churches right now, being disillusioned by parents from their permissive or doctrinally vague 1960s. His experience in the fundamentalist and Pentecostal communities was also instructive, as well as the blatant hypocrisy he witnesses even within our Christian colleges, and I think they serve as a warning to us. I feel like our statements pointing out the possibilities of him being deceived by these spirits, and even under demonic possession, where thoughts I trust have not left him, coming from people he seemed to think were genuine Christians who really cared about him, and I think the doors are still open for us to maintain a dialogue with him, and the occult sympathetic publisher who sent him, because we treated him with dignity. Uh, 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 lastly, the good news is that except for you and one other brother who was sincerely concerned about the impact of the interview in the audience, the rest have emailed, understood the context of what we were doing found it instructive and certainly not positive in the light of ayahuasca uh, with their Jesus who rejects the Bible and knowledge of sin and substitutes horrible, uh, pitant experiences um, and uh, says, I acknowledge that the risk involved with experiences like this but I thank you so much for your sobering words and genuine care and please uh, pray for a continued discernment for us and repentance when we need to hmm. and his, his response, if I could just read it quickly mm-hmm. um he says, "Thank you, and God bless you for your reasonable and loving reply." See, this is the way Christians should be talking to each other. This is, you know, I think they all should this... be
1: blasting each other as if there's no such other person on the other side of the email. I
0: know you better than that. Yeah. Um, I hadn't thought at all about the strategy of not sandbagging Alan Boss. Maybe if I had thought about it longer, then I would have realized that this is the tact you were taking, and that is a commendable approach. My thoughts when I wrote were only about some potential seventeen-year-old living out in the middle of Nowheresville, Kentucky, like I did, and hearing this man speak so favorably about the stuff. When I was a teenager in the '70s, uh, all the anti-drug propaganda I heard did a lot more to entice me than to repulse me, and that is what I was thinking about when I wrote before. See, and that's important to recognize that mm-hmm. our personal experiences, obviously, all of us affect how well, the, we how the, we take. The
1: other it. side to that, though, uh, if I may be so bold as to mm-hmm. respond um is that we weren't obviously weren't endorsing it and you know right. we've talked at length about the whole culture of of needing to blast somebody and and crush them so to make it look as if we aren't endorsing it uh but the other thing is that uh you know we're not hiding it we're not saying pro con or anything this guy's just telling a story mm-hmm. we're not saying you know at least at the outset you know, don't do this or whatever. It's like, let's hear your story and then ru- let a ruling go. We're not giving people like slogans and, you know, right. just say no and dare and, you know, all this other stuff. This it's is like, information. Let's, let's, look at the, let's look at this honestly. Well, and we
0: have an opinion. I mean, we're Bible-believing sure. Christians. We have I don't a think particular, anybody should ever do this. It, it saddens me, when, and I'm not talking about Thunderbird here, but other people yeah. who have listened to us for a long time and still have the jury out on whether we're trying to promote this or not. When our consistent well, legacy has been exposing it, but if you 're going to get somebody from the other side to be honest and level with you, you have to treat someone with dignity, and that 's the fact the way you would want to be treated sure. and uh, The data we have so far has been pretty consistent; people have gotten the message uh whether it 's a Linda Moulton howe or or someone like this or well, whatever I, I really what think that
1: I really think that it speaks volumes and and makes me makes me want to ask people to evaluate evaluate their paradigm when they interpret somebody just telling the truth as uh, letting us – letting us letting people tell the truth uh, as the paradigm of endorsement.
0: Well, Thunderbird supports us, yeah. and they went everything a construct – I have one more paragraph to read, and it's mm-hmm. very humble, I think, their response. Yeah. They support us, but it does – some of these emails like this that we've gotten – shows that there's a general culture. It's not one individual's yeah, everybody's, issue.
1: It's like everybody's hiding behind the church pews kinda looking out like scared. Like, but it's a
0: general culture that um
1: there might be people out there who don't know Jesus.
0: We have to we have to door. hit it well we have to hit it immediately. The hit the issue rather than let somebody tell their story, listen to somebody out, then give your, Do your Christian perception. Church. But you Sorry. know you know what I mean? It's it's mm-hmm. a cultural thing and it impacts all of us. How come you didn't stop that in his tracks when it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, because that is a culture where that's normally done. When you normally hear on Christian sure. shows, um it's usually we railing must against somebody. Control opinion. And I think now we're not perfect in this, but I would say in most cases the the, the things that get most of our wrath are institutions. The institutions are the powerful. And yeah. that includes even the powerful in evangelical circles, Mm -hmm. the people who should know better. They've got the resources. They really don't have an excuse. Mm -hmm. Whereas the individual, and in fact, uh, I'll just say this too, is that if you look at Jesus' example, his harshest criticism were the ones in his same religious tradition. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees, the ones that were, quote, closest to him in their religious beliefs, they got most of his ire. The ones he really cut slack for were the ones out on the perimeter. Mm -hmm. You know, the Samaritan woman, uh you, you you know, you have other Gentiles and other people he counter he interacts with and people like this. That those are the ones that he showed the most grace to. uh And he he basically cut them slack. And what they're I mean He told them they had to be, you know, tax collectors and others. You've got to be born again. You've got to turn away and sin no more. But he exhibited greater patience and grace to them. And I would like to replicate that in how we handle, you know, the topics and guests we have on our show.
1: I think we just need to shout people down. <laughs> I've seen the light. Uh, I've seen the light. That's what Jesus did.
0: You're, you're just kidding. Well, let me finish. Thunderbirds. He the Thunder drove birds.
1: around Israel in a truck with a machine gun mounted on the back.
0: L- l- let me finish Thunderbird's Bird, words here. Mercenaries. I, uh, he says, as I said in the other mail, I've been looking closely at the present hallucinogenic drug movement for over two years now. The present move is very much about entheogens, which correct drugs mm. which induce a spiritual experience. And DMT seems to be at the top of the heap. I agree with that. I've been trying to organize material of a mass to either, uh, you know, do a podcast or publish a book. Not to be famous or make money, but at least raise a voice against it. Because practically no one is. Can't say Dr. Futures in that category for sure, but, and I listened with great interest to your show about this about a year ago and was very glad to hear it. So, we could all use all the help we can get, uh, Thunderbird. But one of the things that stops me from doing that podcast is what I mentioned earlier. I don't want to create awareness of this where no awareness exists. There are plenty of young folks who have not yet heard of ayahuasca, etc. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to keep a watch on, though I can't do much about it, is media coverage, uh, awareness raising. Uh, for, for aware, you guys are aware of the television show Fringe. Uh, hallucinogenic drugs seem to be a theme of almost every episode, uh, that I've seen. Um, you guys being good godly men, uh, he says young men, which I like, uh, not being sarcastic here, have probably never watched the show, HBO show True Blood. The show is not godly programming. It's practically pornographic. My, my
1: TV's got a Louisville Slugger in it, so I'm pretty sure. Well, that's I true. You it. haven't seen it. Yeah.
0: He says I did watch the first season. In the show of that season, two characters find they can get a powerful trip from consuming vampire blood. Uh, the trip is pretty much exactly an ayahuasca trip. Ayahuasca is never mentioned, but the trip is shown a very attractive detail. Awareness being arranged, but it's being done so very subtly. Uh, they aren't going to make it the same mistake they made in the early to middle 60s when Timothy Leary made all the psychedelic business front page news. Nope, this time they're working smart. So, uh, Thunderbird, those are all very wise comments, and it shows you generally, and I already knew this about you, you genuinely want to serve the cause of Christ, uh, and that includes even being kind to us mm-hmm. and trying to say positive things. And But one thing I will say is your words in this last paragraph uh, to me, are a strong argument for the fact why you need to do those podcasts and talk about sure. it. Sure. Because shows like the Fringe and these other ones you mentioned, they will get the word out to everyone about this kind of stuff. The 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 History Channel, Discovery Channel, all these things. The box is open. You don't it need will, to worry about it will get opening out there. it any farther. It it will, it's
1: wide open, bro.
0: We need you, Thunderbird, to get out there and to confront it up front and have the first word with people. Christian people who know the evil that's behind it need to be the first ones telling information to people out there from a biblical viewpoint of what this stuff is. Uh, You may have a more forceful word than we did in that one interview because, again, we were trying to show grace to someone on the other side and and provide an environment for them to provide useful information for us. And and I I think uh, the fact that we... We suggested that he may have been demon possessed. It's probably a pretty good sign that we had issue with his, with his views. But the fact that we, we mentioned that, but um, uh, I found that it was useful information. And uh, um, this is something we need to really keep thinking about. But to talk to each other in a in a kind of respectful manner is the way to do it. And I appreciate I that so much, Thunderbird. I agree. <laughs> And you
1: know not grace to take over. Tom Bionic seriously grace on this. Grace over. Doot, doot, doot. Grace over. No so, more grace. Thunderbird, you hurry go, up, hurry you up. go knock him dead. Hurry up.
0: You start your podcast. I'll go slap Tom Bionic here. And you get the word out because you understand this kind of stuff. But do not be hesitant. This is my opinion. I think Tom agrees. Mm-hmm. Don't be hesitant with the fact that you're going to popularize something. You go warn the people. Okay. You go tell them. It, it would be like saying, I'm not going to talk about God's plan for sex with my teenagers because then they'll know sex exists. Okay, You know they're going to find out unless you keep them chained in the basement. They're going to find out about it. And it's better they hear from a Christian on what God's idea and plan. And I think the same thing is true about this stuff. It's not going away. Everyone's being exposed. Thunderbird, we need you and all of our other listeners warning people ahead of time. And uh, Christians need to hear about it too because we're all so ill-informed on these kind of things that uh, people are shocked. I talked to a conference, a bunch of people the other day mm-hmm. that were studying pagan influence on stuff. None of them had ever heard about it, hadn't heard a thing about any of it. Of course, they hadn't heard of transhumanism either. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of work to be done.
1: No joke.
0: So that's it. We're going to be done, but we need to bring Merv in to tell everyone how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Doctor Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio
1: broadcast. Okay. That's it. All right, man, let's hit it.
0: Okay. We're going to come back next week. Hit her again. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope you have a great week. Uh, keep letting us know what you think about what our show's doing now and any thoughts you have. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake. quake.